Hey, it's just past 8 o'clock on a Thursday. Are you ready to rock it? We are Rocket Sports in the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. All right? Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you tonight by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. If you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Yeah, well, Coach Joe, um, I was looking on this day in sports today, and I saw that on this date in 1959, a guy named Elijah Pumpsy Green was the first black player to make his debut with the Boston Red Sox. Well, in further investigation, his brother was Cornell Green that played for the Dallas Cowboys. I think he's a Hall of Famer. And also, um, he had another brother, Creedell Green, that played at the University of Washington and was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And that's a lot of athletic ability in one family. Now, what you and I were talking about was the innovation of the Dallas Cowboys drafting system back in the 60s under Tech Schramm and those guys and Tom Landry, how innovative those guys were because Cornell Green never played college football. He was a basketball player at Utah State, but he wasn't the only one. I mean, we were talking about them and the Kansas City Chiefs, how they both mined those historically black colleges and uh, that's how they found Bob Hayes. He was a track star who also played football for Jake Gaither at Florida A&M. But very innovative scouting for back in those days. You know, a lot of people might not remember or know this. The Chiefs and the Dallas Cowboys both began as franchises in 1960. The Chiefs were the Dallas Texans and the, uh, of the AFL. And Dallas Cowboys were an expansion team in the NFL. Tom Landry who was an assistant with the Giants, became their head coach. And they, both teams, quickly overcame the expansion was. You thought expansion is bad these days. Back then, when you were an expansion team, you had nothing. Usually you were set back for 10 years. But they were quickly good teams. And by the mid-60s, Dallas was as good as any team in the NFL, except maybe the Packers, who they were about yeah. one or two plays short of. And so they, they had years of frustration trying to overcome them. But, yeah, they were always ahead of the curve. Well, now, the Cowboys had an, an auspicious beginning. I think they won one game their first year. Or maybe they were 0-10-1. Or, right, yeah. Actually, sure. actually, it was 0-10-1 that first year, 1960. Yeah. And, you know, but it didn't take Landry long. was the defensive coordinator for the Giants. The offensive coordinator was a guy named Vince Lombardi. Yeah. And one of those Giants teams were pretty good back in the yeah, 50s. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, when he, when Lombardi took over the Packers, which was, I think, 1961 or 62. It was in the 50s. I think it was like 59, was something it? like 58, 59, somewhere uh, there. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you would remember. You probably, yeah. <laughs> you well, probably I was eight years old back then. You so. probably talked about the news on your show yeah. back then. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, the the Packers that uh, Lombardi took over were awful, and he, yeah. he quickly turned them around, and, and they, they became a good team. And, of course, uh, they ran into each other for the whole decade of the 60s, the Cowboys and the Packers. Saw recently uh, one of those NFL Presents uh, America, America's team. was It was actually yeah. about— America's Game, rather. It was actually about the Cowboys of 1971 that ended up beating the Dolphins in the Super Bowl. And it talked about how it took them that long to actually get over the top and get there. 
but all the good teams that they had le- along the way and yeah, uh, exactly. all those great players. And you know what's interesting also about the Cowboys, Ronnie, is uh, they were the first team to start using computers in their uh, scouting. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's how you know, long we've been alive. Always, I remember that. <laughs> one of the things I always admired about Tom Landry is he was a World War II veteran, flew B-17, and survived 25 missions over Germany. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. We've got an interview coming up. Now, this is recorded, so you can't call in. But we have Phil Steele from Phil Steele's College Football Magazine 2022. And Joe and I talked to him yesterday And he has got some really great things to say. The guy's amazing. So let's go ahead and take a break. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk 1430 and Talk 96.7 WLKF. Hi, I'm Larry Little of the Miami Dolphins. I'm listening to Ronnie O on the Ozone. Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7, where the ozone comes your way every Thursday from 8 until 9. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. Earlier this week, Ronnie O and Coach Joe caught up with legendary Phil Steele. All right, it's our great pleasure. Every year, we look forward to having the man with the plan talk to the boys with the ploys, Mr. Phil Steele, with Phil Steele's 22 college football yearbook. Phil, welcome back to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Hey, always a pleasure being on with you guys. Uh, I'm doing well. How about you, Ronnie and Coach? Man, if I was any better, they'd put me in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Doing great, Phil. It's so good talking to you, man. Phil, let's talk some college football. Um, Florida Gators, they don't show up in any of your best units, but you seem to like them. You must have a lot of faith in Billy Napier, uh, the Gators were 6-7 and seven last year. They returned six starters on offense, seven on defense, and yet you have them as your number two most improved. Why is that? Yeah, I'm a big Billy Napier fan. And, you know, let's face it, Florida wasn't as bad as 6-7 and seven last year. They had the Mullen stuff going on down the stretch, and uh, it was sort of a, a, an embarrassing bowl game to be out there. But uh, the rest of the season, they they nearly beat Alabama last year. They probably should have beaten Kentucky last year. The LSU game was close last year. So they had their opportunities. But Napier's a guy that, you know, when he took over at Louisiana and going through the roster with him that first year to the time of last year when his final roster at Louisiana, just a huge, great job building it, great job developing it. And what we saw out of Coach Napier's teams was outstanding performance on the field on game days. And he inherits some talent here. Anthony Richardson's back at, Q, at QB, taking over that spot. I think he's got more upside than what Emory Jones had last year. Cannon for an arm, dangerous runner, perfect fit for the offense. Uh, they've got a deep set of running backs. The offensive line, I rate number 21 in the country. Defensive backs, I rate number 11 in the country, led by Trey Dean. And the special teams is solid as well. So last year, uh, Gator fans weren't too high on me. I, I didn't have them in my preseason top 25, <laughs> and they, they let me know about that all summer long. But this year, I'm, I, this year I'm more bullish on Florida. I got them as my number two most improved team in the country. Phil, I know that um, with all the movement and the portal and everything, must have really complicated your job in putting together the magazine. Tell us briefly about how you were able to overcome those challenges. Yeah, well, the beautiful thing, Ronnie, is that uh, we go to the press on June 8th, and they close that doggone transfer portal on May 1st. So if you're going to play this year, you had to enter the portal by May 1st, and that gave us time to capture everybody hitting the portal. 
And the majority of the people that landed, hardly anybody's landed uh, since we sent the magazine to the press. We even got Jordan Addison transferring from Pitt to USC. What it's done is, I tell you what, I've got my original set of power rings. And I write the magazine in three different sets a postseason, a pre-spring, and then after I talk to the coaches. And, uh, you know, there would be days towards the final week of the magazine where I had to adjust power ratings on a position because a player came in or came out. And uh, a lot of changes in the in the process now with the transfer portal. But thank goodness they closed that thing on May 1st. We're talking with Phil Steele. Phil Steele's college football 2022 preview is out, and it is fantastic. And Phil, you use so many great metrics in in making your evaluations of the different teams and and putting together this this amazing uh, doc, you know, amazing book every year. And one of the metrics I wanted to ask you about is starts lost to injury. You have a stat here that says sixty eight percent of the time that the team loses thirty four or more starts to an injury and has nine or fewer wins, they improve the next year. You mentioned the Gators as being a number two team uh, on your most improved list. You also mentioned Miami on this list of uh, they had 35 uh, starts lost to injury and nine or fewer wins. Uh, why do you, why where did you come up with that metric? Yeah, you know it's it's something I thought of, and and you know like this year for example, I talked to 120 to 131 head coaches, and and going over the with the head coaches uh, teams and things like that. Um, you you learn things, and the one thing that I had learned was after going through a coach and uh, talking to a coach, I should say, and them talking about all the all the bad breaks they had the previous year, all the injuries they had the bad last year, and then why they were better this year, and then it would turn out into fruition. So I started looking at that stat probably about six seven years ago, I think it was, and the the reason for it is this: you you lose a player to injuries, to, so naturally, if you're losing starters to injury, your record's probably weaker than it probably should have been the previous year. Now your backups get to play, which gives them experience beyond what you would normally have experience-wise out of the backup. So if they have to take over that position, they now have experience. And then if the other player comes back, the ones that was injured last year, that's a plus. You get actually more talent at the position. So I started putting it into a metric like I do in all those metrics in the magazine and found that the teams that did suffer the most injuries the previous year had weaker records than expected, got players back, got more experience than you would think, and all improved their record. And it's been pretty consistent throughout the years. So, yeah, that's one of the newer metrics I came out with, but it's been fascinating. Well, let's uh, focus on Miami since they're in that metric for a second. You don't have them among your most improved teams, but you rank them highly as the 12th, I believe, and you have them listed as your fifth likely surprise team. Uh, can you give us an explanation of of what you uh, evaluated when you look at Miami? Yeah, and I'm glad you, glad you brought up both categories, Coach. Um, when you look at my most improved teams, to qualify for a most improved team, you have to have a losing record the previous year. So Miami went 7-5 last year. They're not eligible to make my most improved list. Only teams that had losing record. My whole purpose of the most improved list is to take teams that had losing records last year and say they're going to get to a bowl game this year. So that's why Miami's not on that list. Now, the surprise team list is different. It's a non-top-10 team. And Miami's not going to be in the, ranked in the top 10 at the start of the year but I think has a chance of making the playoff. And I'll say this about Mario Cristobal. 
tremendous recruiter and does a great job developing players. And when he took over at Oregon, he took over a finesse team at Oregon. And what he did was turn them into a power team at the line of scrimmage, both offensive line and defensive line. And they came with a lot more physicality than they had in the past. Well, when I talked to Coach Cristobal this year going over the team, he likes what he inherited on the offensive line. He was pleasantly surprised. And he feels that this is going to be a really good offensive line. Defensively, he likes what he inherited on the defensive line. And he supplemented it, bringing in about five transfers they're going to have one of the better defensive lines in the country. So I've got the defensive line rated number 13 coming into the season. Then he feels Tyler Van Dyke's the best quarterback in the country. That may prove to be the case at the end of the year. Tyler Van Dyke really took over in, in that position in the second half of the year, turned the Miami offense around. They've got talent at tight end with Will Mallory. Now, they do play a tough schedule. They have to play Texas A&M in College Station. That's not going to be easy. They play Clemson on the road. That's not going to be easy. But if they can win those two games, all of a sudden they're a playoff contender. So I, that's why I've got Miami as my number five surprise team. They are not going to be in the top ten. But I think they do have a shot sneaking into the playoff. They are just going to have to win those two big road games. Uh, Phil, you've uh, got LSU. You've listed LSU as losing 74 starts to injury last year, the, the most among these teams in, listed in your metric. Now, LSU and FSU play early in the season in, in New Orleans. Um, who are you more optimistic about going forward, LSU or FSU? Or to put it another way, can FSU even stay with LSU and new coach Brian Kelly? I think they can. That's a great question, Coach. And I think they can this year uh, because when you look at LSU, they lost a lot. I mean, you go back to what happened last year and players leaving the team and things like that. I think they were down to 35 players eligible, 35, 38 players eligible for the bowl game. It hardly anybody left. Now they only have 11 returning starters. Yes, they hit the transfer portal hard. They've got talent. I have questions with LSU on the offensive line. Not so much the defensive line, but the offensive line would be a big question mark. Uh, who's going to win that quarterback job? Now, uh, and it's a first-year head coach. He's coming in. He has to learn the players' strengths and weaknesses. Players have to learn new schemes. He hasn't had a first full recruiting class coming in. So I've got LSU not to their normal standards, which is contending for the SEC West title. I think they have a good shot at getting to a bowl game this year, but I don't think it's your typical LSU team. Now, with Florida State, they're in a different trajectory. You look at Mike Norvell as the head coach. It's his third year. He's got 16 returning starters coming back. They've got a quarterback. They've got a veteran quarterback. and know who it is in Jordan Travis, who improved as the season went on. Their offensive line will be better than last year. It's still not going to be dominant, but they'll be better. I mean, let's face it, they've given up 149 sacks the last four years. They can only be better. But defensively, they've got good talent throughout. And uh, they rank in my top units in seven of the eight categories. So I do think Florida State can give LSU a game. Uh, and right now in Vegas, to be honest with you, they're only a two-and-a-half-point underdog. So uh, Vegas feels the same way, that uh, Florida State does have a shot. I guess in that ACC, you had FSU and Miami. Now, we know Clemson's going to be good again. Who else is likely to be really surprisingly good and surprisingly not as good as you'd think? Well, I think that uh, along with Clemson, and by the way, Clemson's got the best defensive line in the country. Uh, they also have a vastly improved quarterback in D.J. Uyunglele. I talked to offensive quarter uh, Brandon Streeter. Uh, he said he lost 25 to 30 pounds, much more mobile. His, the focus in the spring was getting the ball out of his hands. And he's being pushed by Kate Klubnick, my number one quarterback out of high school. Quarterback was the problem last year. It won't be this year. Outstanding defense. I do think Clemson uh, is at the top of the ACC. But NC State's going to be really good. You look at their defense, they've got 10 starters coming back. 
the linebacking by rate number two in the country, the DBs number three in the country. Overall, they have a top ten defense. And offensively, they've got Devin Leary back. They've got an improved offensive line, a lot of experience up front. NC State's a clear contender to Clemson, but they do have to play them on the road in Death Valley. Keep in mind, NC State had an experienced team last year. Clemson did not. NC State needed overtime to get past Clemson at home. This year they have to play them on the road. Uh, on the other side of the coin, I'm very high on the Pitt Panthers. I think when you look at Pitt, uh, nobody has any expectations for them this year, even though they won the ACC last year. They lose their quarterback in Kenny Pickett. They lose their Bolitnikoff winner, a wide receiver in Jordan Addison, but they do have my number two rated defensive line in the country. And I like Keaton Slovis, the USC transfer. I think he steps in, does a good job in his first year as a starter. And uh, overall, when I look at Pitt this year, I actually have them favored in all their games with the exception of Miami of Florida in the season final. And keep in mind, last year, uh, Pitt on the road in the ACC won all four games and won them by 23 points per game. So add it all up, I'm very bullish uh, on the Pitt Panthers. And then the team I think might surprise in a negative way would be Virginia. I thought they were a little fortunate in the ACC last year. They had back-to-back games uh, against Miami of Florida and Louisville where the opposing team's kicker misses a field goal in the last play of the game. Had that kicker made those field goals, they would have been a 4-8 and team last year. Now, expectations are high because everybody looks at the quarterback. And when you look at the quarterback, they got a really good one in Brennan Armstrong. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the country. Uh, I'm not impressed with his strong motion, but I am impressed with his production. That's phenomenal. My biggest question mark with Virginia comes in that offensive line. All five starters are gone. How are they going to rework that? It's a first-year head coach learning new schemes. Add it all up, I think Virginia takes a little step back this year. Phil, um, we have a guy named Cougar Lou that loves to listen to our show, and he's a Houston Cougar graduate. They went 12-2 and last year. They returned Clayton Toon and Alton McCaskill. If McCaskill can come back from an injury, I think they're going to have a pretty good team. Um, before we get into the Houston Cougars, where can someone get your magazine, and how can they get this information online? Hey, I appreciate that very much. You know, we had to do the magazine in two runs this year. The first run uh, went entirely to Barnes & Noble. I've heard that they popped up at a couple books of millions, but uh, entirely to Barnes & Noble, and that's your best place to look. Save your gas money head there. Uh, The second run is complete, though, and should be starting to hit all the other stores in about two weeks. So if you can wait two weeks, look around, but if not right now, Barnes & Noble. Online, philsteel.com. And that's not just where you can order the hard copy. You can order the digital copy as well. That is S-T-E-E-L-E.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's at philsteel042. But check out philsteel.com. Starting next week, I'm going to put out a different blog every day. You can get all fascinating things like college football. And the digital version, by the way, this year, guys, is actually going to be updated all the way to the start of the season with any uh, players coming in, players coming out on the team. So do check out philsteel.com. Awesome. Can you give us a quick rundown? We've only got about a minute and a half on the Houston Cougars. Yeah, when I talked to Coach Hogerson last year, he said, Phil, this is my first normal year. The first year, remember, everybody redshirted. The second year was COVID. And what did he do in his first normal year? 12-2. and two. I think he's got a team capable of winning the American. I do not think uh, that uh, Alton McCaskill will be back this year. I think it's too tough an injury, but they're still good at the running back spot. Clayton Toon, as you mentioned. And then how about uh, Sack Avenue, the defensive line? That's one of the best defensive lines in the country. I think Houston's a legitimate contender, and they avoid UCF, and they avoid Cincinnati in league play. So they've got a real good shot at getting back to the American title game. Phil, as always, thank you so much. We 
thoroughly enjoy having you on. We look forward every year to having you on. Thanks, guys. And I look forward every year to doing your show. It's been uh, We've been doing this for quite some time, so appreciate you having me on. All right. The great Phil Steele. Thanks, Phil. Thank you so much, Phil. Hey, thanks. It Phil- was fun as always. How many years we've been doing this? I don't know, six or seven, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been terrific. I don't know if maybe that COVID year messed things up a little bit. So, but otherwise, yeah. we've been pre- real continuous, and it's just it's just a joy having you on. And you're welcome anytime. By the way, you you like a fine I wine. You get better that. every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I appreciate that. That's that's great. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing your guys' show. So yeah, reach out in August. We could do this one again. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. All right, thanks. Have a good one, guys. You too. Thanks. Take care. Talk Radio 96.7. Yeah, we got Ronnie O and Coach Joe talking sports in the Ozone. Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cold, hard cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. Wanted to mention that today is Billy Napier's 43rd birthday as well as my child bride's birthday. She's now old enough to drink and vote, and being married to me will probably drive her to drink. But at any rate, 682-1430 is the number to call in. On this dating back in 1972, the Dodgers released Hall of Famer Hoyt Wilhelm. He pitched in the major leagues for 20 years from 52 to 72, almost, almost, I say, exclusively as a relief pitcher. His nickname was Old Sarge, and the reason for that was he was wounded in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II and pitched his whole career with a piece of German shrapnel lodged in his back. You know, he played for 10 different teams. He was a World Series champion in 54 with the Giants, led the league in ERA as a relief pitcher in 52 and 59. So he also pitched a no-hitter against the Yankees one year. That's pretty amazing that he got enough innings as a relief pitcher to qualify to lead the league in the RA, Coach. Yeah, he, especially because you think of relief pitchers more recently as, as pitching a lot. You know, back then, starters went on forever. But uh, uh, it, it is an unusual stat. But he, he's an unusual player, though, wasn't he? He was. <laughs> and, you know, he holds a record for most appearances. He broke Cy Young's record. And one of the things I remember about him is, is that catchers had a lot of trouble catching his knuckleball. Um, one, of, one of the guys, Gus Triandos with the Orioles, they said, um, Gus Triandos said, heaven is a place where nobody throws knuckleballs. <laughs> 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 and you're too young to remember this, but the Orioles, and it might I don't remember if it was Triandos or who it was, but they invented an oversized catcher's mitt that they used exclusively to catch Wilhelm with because there were so many. And uh, I remember, um, uh, what was the guy's name in A Little Outside? Are you talking about Bob Euchre? Yeah, Bob Euchre. Yeah. He said that he had solved the mystery of catching the knuckleball. He said, I just go to the backstop and pick it up. After it stops rolling, (laughs) yeah. yeah, That was great. I remember... Uh, growing up and, and watching a Dodgers game, this guy named Charlie Huff came on the mound. Yeah, that's right. And he was a knuckleballer. And the catcher, I think it was Steve Yeager, he, yeah. he went off to the dugout when Huff was brought into the game. 
and you can see him swapping catcher's mitts and, and from a normal size one to one that looked like a throw pillow it was so big. You know? <laughs> uh, on this date, 1973, Hank Aaron, the hammer, hit his 700th home run off the Phillies' Ken Brett, who was, yes, George Brett's brother. And I remember Ken Brett pitched with the Boston Red Sox for a little while. And um, they always, Ken said that everybody always thought that Ken was the one that was going to be the great player. But um, as it turned out, it was George Brett that was the great Hall of Fame player. 1989, Mike Tyson KOs Carl Williams in a minute 33 for the heavyweight title. And back in 1921, I remember this game very well. I was there. The Indians beat the Yankees 9-7, to and the teams combined for 16 doubles, a major league record. Back in 1945, the Tigers beat the Philadelphia A's. They played 24 innings, and they tied 1-1. There's probably some good relief pitching in that one. Yeah, there must have been. And how about this? In 1970, you know, we, the um, Padres, Clay Kirby was pitching a no-hitter. They took him out for a pinch hitter, and they ended up losing 3 to nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you see any of the All-Star game the other night, Ronnie? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it, too. I hadn't been watching the last couple of years. It was an interesting game. Uh, Clayton Kershaw got the start for the Dodgers, uh, you know, pitched one inning, pitched great, you know, because they were actually playing in Dodger Stadium. And the they did something different. You know, I gave Fox a lot of credit because they're always coming up with innovations. You know, they came up with – the, uh, that, that tracker for golf balls, which every, everybody <laughs> uses now, <laughs> shot track, which I don't know how we got, how we lived without that. But th- they did something different with the microphones for the players. I don't know how much that you heard. They, on, on one inning, they, they had a pitcher mic, yeah. and they were actually talking to him while he was pitching. And that was uh, pitcher Alex Manoa from Toronto, and he he became a star that night just on that one inning. He was talking about how he was going to strike out the side, and he actually did. But <laughs> my favorite part, though, was I think around the sixth inning when it, the Yankee pitcher and catcher combo, uh, it was uh, Nestor Cortez and Jose Trevino, they were both mic'd so they could talk to each other and talk to the announcers and hear what they were saying. And we could hear what they were saying. That was something, I you know— We've been around. We thought we'd seen everything. That was amazing. You know, I heard some some people, and, you know, I guess it's just potato, potato, you know, if that was your cup of tea. And I heard some people criticizing it, saying that it just further trivialized the game as, you know, a a meaningless exhibition game, which really it is. But, (laughs) you know, like you said, it was an innovation by Fox to do this and – you know, it was something different. It, it is a meaningless game. I mean, the American League's won, what, nine in a row? Well, they have, yeah. And it's it's something in other sports uh, for things like – I remember the Pro Bowl used to do this where you have the quarterback mic'd up when he yeah. was talking to the – or when he was getting the play call uh, radioed into him. So, I mean, the game doesn't count, and – this is an opportunity to get inside a player's head and 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 see what they're thinking and hear what they're thinking. And it was fascinating when the cat, the pitcher, uh, when Cortez would say to Trevino, "What do you want?" He'd say something like, "You know, give me slider up up high or on the inside." And boom, he'd put it right there. And and then he, 
Then the, then Trevino would ask him about the next pitch. What do you think? And he'd go, you know, let's go fastball low and away or whatever. And 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 then he'd throw it. And most of the time he'd hit the spot that he was aiming at. And yeah. it it really was it really was remarkable. And I can understand maybe not doing that in a regular season, but for a game where people are look are tuning in just to see the players in an exhibition format to see them perform, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really spectacular. Well, I agree with you. I, you know. I'd, I didn't watch a lot of it, but I thought that it added something to it. You know, I want to mention this. I hear a lot of people, I bristle when I hear this, that, you know, this athlete or that athlete is a warrior. No, they're not warriors. <laughs> In 1970, on this date, Bob Calsu, who played at Oklahoma and for the Buffalo Bills, was killed in action in Vietnam. He was a lieutenant with the 101st Airborne Division, and he left a daughter and a wife and his wife was also pregnant with a son he never met. That is a warrior. There were two guys that played in the NFL that died in the Vietnam War, and he was one of them. And uh, here's another one. On this date in 2010, Ralph Houck passed away in Winter Haven, Florida. You know, he managed the Red Sox, the Tigers, and the Yankees. is better known as the manager of the Yankees. But uh, he won World Series in 47, 52, and 53. He was a coach in 58 and uh, he managed the Yankees in 61 and 62. He managed but, the Tigers, too, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. He ended up with the Red Sox at the end of his career, but I don't think they did all that great. But yeah. I wanted to mention Bob Calsu. I remember he, he, Sports Illustrated did an article on him. Oh, yeah. He's, he's uh, among Oklahoma fans, so I know I know a few of them. They they revere him. He's he's special. It's interesting, though, because we were talking about this a little, a little bit before the show, Ronnie, uh, about – you know terms that are used in football that uh, and are they yeah. should they still be used because yeah. Anthony Richardson of course has declared that his his brand AR15 his initials plus his jersey number he's not going to use that term anymore because it's the same term that's often referred to, uh, as kind of kind of an assault rifle yeah. or, or a kind of a, you firearm fans, it's a kind of firearm. It's not right. necessarily an assault rifle. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't want to be one of those guys who gets that wrong. But, but uh, you know, I guess you were talking about how uh, he, no, he didn't want people referring to him as rifle-armed or, <laughs> or uh, oh, throwing he's bullets. Or... He's got a cannon. <laughs> well, you know, since the Baltimore bullets are no longer called that, there hasn't been a shooting in Baltimore since then. So, you know, those things really are important. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I just— think that it doesn't have any impact on the way things are done. I think that the the reason for those things are deeper, but we're not here to discuss politics. So let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to give away a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hello, I'm Dwight Stevenson, formerly of the Miami Dolphins and Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. All right. We mentioned earlier that on this date in 1973, the Hammer, Hank Aaron, hit his 700th home run against the Phillies and Ken Brett. What we want to know is, for a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, if you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. 
and we'll give you a choice. You can tell us Hank Aaron's jersey number or how many career home runs he totaled. 682-1430. Now, that's about as easy as it gets, right, Coach Joe? Oh, yeah, easy. And if you, you know, we want to, by the way, want to thank Phil Steele, who makes our job easy when you have a guest like that because he's he can just give you an answer about any college team in the country uh, just off the top of his head. And he's remarkable. And this book they've got in front of me, thanks for picking one up, by the way, for me, Ronnie, uh, Phil Steele's College Football Preview 22. Fantastic. We have been doing really Great. I mean, Phil Steele is in demand on national shows everywhere. And uh, Mike Uginen from last week, same thing. And it, we have just had some terrific guests. And, uh, uh, well, they're not here to talk to me. It's 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 my man here, Ronnie. Well, who I don't know about that. To, to, draw in, uh, to draw in these big names like that. And, no, uh, you got Mike Uginen and you worked on um, Phil Steele. So um, it, we were, we worked together. I get so. a couple. But, yeah, I mean, uh, we got some really – you got Spurrier. I mean, I could – I doubt he'd even wave hello to me, man. We got a caller here who's hungry and thirsty. Austin, how are you doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? Fantastic. You hungry and thirsty? Oh, yeah, always. All right. That's what we like to hear. What number was Hank Aaron, or how many career home runs did he have? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was 755. You're exactly right. Do you know what his jersey number is or was? Mm, I couldn't tell you that. I'm sorry. 44. You must be young. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 47. Oh, okay. Well, are you a Braves fan? Oh yeah, I was a I was a Dale Murphy fan growing up. So oh yeah, he was a classy guy. Aaron's oh, yeah, last year was forty six years ago. So uh, <laughs> Austin, yeah. you, you didn't remember him after you were born as an infant yeah. <laughs> and see him in the final farewell tour with the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Oh yeah, I was I was I was I was watching in the crib. Uh, have you been to the Ale House? Yeah, I've been a few times. It's very good. What What's your favorite dish out there? Oh, probably the chicken wings. They do have good wings. Yeah, real good wings. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, well, we appreciate you calling in, and um, if you'll hang on the line, Eric will get your information. Put your hand over your wallet because he'll try to get your wallet too. Hey, but- stop that! <laughs> But congratulations, and we'll send that out to the Ale House, and you'll have 30 days to go out and claim your prize. All right. I appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you for listening, Austin. Austin. All right. Thank you. All right. Got a winner real quick. Yeah, we sure sure did. And um, I wasn't tooting your horn for no reason at all, Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I just wanted to uh, point out, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't realize this, uh, this coming week, our sixth anniversary together is with uh, on the same show, I was here uh, for eight years. So I used to fill in for you. Yeah, and uh, then, it, then I don't. We just we just had so much fun doing it together. And I know on those times when I have to do it without you, how hard it is. See, Ronnie, the, the little known secret is Ronnie and Eric do all the heavy lifting. I just kind of parachute in here and just kind of respond. <laughs> it's it's pretty. I got the easy job here. <laughs> well, and, it does make it a lot easier in having you here, and you fill in a lot of gaps. With my ancient memory, I can, I can remember those things that happened back in 1960, but um, five years ago, what I had for lunch yesterday? No, no. no. Well, if I, well, I appreciate that, Ronnie, but, but you are the man, and, and uh, you're, uh, you're beloved in this community, and it's an honor to be on the show with you. So I want to get a chance to point that out. Happy anniversary to you. Well, and, or thank actually, you. Yeah. I'm not sure it's consensus love in the community, but <laughs> there are those rare pockets. Um, <laughs> You know, anyway, um, we got some odds on 
All right, week zero. I hate this. It, if you're playing football, it's the dang first week. Anyway. Well, yeah, they want to have that soft opening. Uh, yeah, exactly. Get a couple of games on there to just whet your appetite before throwing the U. Because the, the really good teams and the really big matchups, they want that extra week to prepare, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Well, Vanderbilt's going to travel to Hawaii, and they're going out there a week early. And you think that wasn't some sort of recruiting gimmick? <laughs> And, oh, and yeah. I don't blame them. Well, yeah, and the only way you can get anybody interested in Vanderbilt, Hawaii, is either getting a ticket to go see the game yeah. <laughs> or putting it in week zero when there's nothing else to watch and you're just starving for college football at that point. And how about this? The Commodores, a six-and-a-half-point favorite. This uh, may yeah. be the only time they'll be favored. <laughs> On the road, too. How about yeah. that? Yeah. R- road uh, favorites. Hawaii is uh, not that good anymore. I understand the, the famous Hula Bowl. That stadium, where Aloha Stadium, where they played, is about to be destroyed. I think its its days are numbered. I don't know what they're going to replace it with, but I'm hearing it's it's not long for this world. Huh? Surely they got to replace it. I mean, the University of Hawaii's got to play somewhere. North Carolina and FAMU. I couldn't find any odds on it, but the predicted score is 39 nothing Tar Heels. So Carolina can still score points, and they're going to be a good team. Uh, FAMU. Uh, I don't know. They, they, you could always uh, pull some sort of an upset, but it's just not likely or, at, with the state they're in right now. Yeah, you, you hate that because there's a lot of tradition at FAMU, you know, with uh, Jake Gaither. I used to love that he said, I want my football players to be hostile, mobile, and agile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, he had some great ones there, too. They always would give you a good game. And uh, they. Uh, did, I remember in the late 70s when they beat the University of Miami, as Miami was trying to, to turn into a power, that was a bit of a setback that year. I think it was 1979. And, of course, you know, our, our friend, late friend Ken Riley was the coach there and starred there as a quarterback. And when, when we used to get to go to those gatherings where he had the old teammates and all, they used to tease him and say, yeah, yeah, you were the fair-haired boy. <laughs> you, we used to have to ride that rickety old bus to the games and you rode with coach jake (laughs) (laughs) he was so funny when those guys would start getting on him because he was so quiet and uh just understated man man those were some of the best days of my life and i know for you too what a class act ken riley we sure do miss him yeah what a great guy and he should be in the pro football hall of fame well florida state and duquesne the dukes 37-3 Thirty-seven to three is the prediction. I think this game's off the board too. How the heck are they going to score three? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Now let's get to some bigger games. Notre Dame at Ohio State. Wow. In week one, and Notre Dame is a fourteen-point underdog. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the, I think that Notre Dame is going to be good, but I do think they take a, a step back this year as they uh, adjust to the new coach. And Ohio State is. A, uh, loaded. Yeah, they are. Here's another one. This one surprises me. Florida State and LSU in New Orleans, the Tigers are only two-and-a-half-point favorites. Yeah, we talked to Phil Steele a little bit about that, and he likes FSU's chances in that game. He thinks that LSU is going to take a little bit of a step back uh, as they lost so many players under as they start off with Brian Kelly. Exactly. I think LSU is going to be fine in this game, but uh, we'll see. Utah and the Gators. The Gators have gone from slight favorite to two-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. Uh, we'll see. It's all about Anthony Richardson. If he's if he's as good consistently as we've seen when he's good, Gators could beat anybody. But when he's not so good, then it's a big toss-up. I think Utah's highly underrated. I, I would have that game 
maybe a little higher, maybe four or five points in favor of Utah. One more game real quick, and that is Oregon, 17.5-point underdogs to the wonder dogs of the University of Georgia. That game is going to be played in Atlanta. In Atlanta, yeah, Georgia easily. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it seems like the hour just went by so fast tonight. And on our sixth anniversary, Coach Joe and I are accepting any and all gifts, and Mm -hmm. we have no maximum this year, so give us some money. 